Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. All right. Hello, shorties. Hey. Welcome to some story. Shorties. Are, the, wait, are we going with number twos or shorties? Do we Look, need to we decide right now? Probably not. We got a, we got a message from oh. John Gamero. Do you oh. know John Gamero? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Or is he just a per- so John Gamero said, Somebody, uh, friend of mine. I, I really thought you'd call us shorties, but yeah, cool. Poop synonym. That works too. So I, <laughs> I had to go on Urban Dictionary. It turns out that he's right. And it is a, wow. a synonym for poop. So I think shorties might be better. It's okay, cuter. Yeah. Shorties, it is cuter. We uh, could still do pencils. We could just do golf, like golf pencils. Oh, that's good. Yeah. For our Patreon. <laughs> Yeah, that's smart. Which is what I'm always, that's what this is all about. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we went into short stories to earn money. (laughs) Yep. So hey to our shorties out there. Hey, everybody. This is Some Story, a show about short stories. We we are Brian. I'm Russell, and this is Brian. (laughs) And we're nailing this. And. Uh, we talk about we read short stories not at the same time we read them separately and then we come together to talk about them and we talk about what is effective in terms of the writing of the short stories and what we as uh, bad to medium writers can take away from these stories to turn ourselves into good decent writers mm-hmm. right, who yeah. can express ourselves better and hopefully and mostly you off. and mostly goof off and hopefully you shorties can pick up some things along the way too yeah I just want to jump in here real quick, Russell, and uh, share something with the shorties. And that is that, you know, the reason Russell and I started this podcast is because neither one of us felt like we had the writing community that that we craved. And so we decided that we were going to start it ourselves. So whether or not you realize it, you shorties are that community. And I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to listen to us talk about our passion. Um, and if you do like these podcasts, if you consider yourself a shorty, you guys can help by sharing this podcast or any podcast of ours with somebody who you think might also like it. Um, it would be awesome if you did, because, you know, um, we want it to be entertaining and educational. You know what I mean? That's right. Yep. Like Sesame Street. And Russell would know because he is a teacher at a school for the gifted. I will be. I just accepted yeah. a job on fr- on yes. on Friday. So big round of applause for Russell. Uh, big congrats ooh, 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 to Russell. Ooh, ooh. Raising cool. the roof. Yeah, Russell's literally raising the roof uh, for everybody out there. I think that him. my ninth grade <laughs> students are going to appreciate my uh, <laughs> my 1990s reference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll be teaching ninth grade world lit at the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Uh, which is a public school in Alabama for uh, students that are focusing on creative writing or music, dance, stage performance, uh, also math and science. So what? I was just Brian just made it. I was just doing dancer moves. Brian studied dance. (laughs) (laughs) I think those are jazz hands. I'm not sure, actually. Okay, so today on some story, we're we're talking about a story (laughs) called The Literal Zone, L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L, not literal as in literally. Although we are Uh, literally talking about it. We are literally talking about a story called The Literal Zone from Andrea Barrett's 1996 uh, uh, National Book Award winning Mm -hmm. collection of short stories Mm -hmm. called The Sea Fever. Ship Fever. Ship Fever. Yeah. Ship fever. Ship fever. I got a fever.
and the only for shipping things. Um, which is a she's an author I'd never heard of and Mm -hmm. a story that I'd never read. Um, you brought it to the podcast, so I was kind of curious to know. Yeah, why you why you did that? Why'd you do that? Well, um, (laughs) I read it a couple years ago, and. I thought it was awesome. She's like a super, I had never heard of her before either, but she's like a super accomplished writer. It's weird that neither one of us had ever heard of her before we first engaged with this story. I was um, thinking about that too, man. And like it's like, I feel like the ni- the 90s were such a weird time. Like 90s just feels like throwaway kind of culture. Does it? <laughs> Dude, the 90s were great, man. I, the 90s were the, the 90s were great, but the 90s were also like McDonald's. Everything was, everything was disposable. and Yeah, that's true. Non-fat yogurt, stuff like that. Yeah, we were also, uh, I would have been 12 whenever this story came out. Yeah. So I wasn't really into literary short fiction. That's true of me, too. <laughs> but she did, I mean, she did win the, she's got a MacDar- MacArthur Genius Grant to her name. Holy smokes. Yeah, she's, uh, she had, I think, an, one of her novels, or maybe it was another book of short stories that got published after this was shortlisted for the Pulitzer also. So she's like, wow. she's like wicked accomplished, but somehow not a literary star, if that, uh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, let's get a couple of fun facts about Andrea Barrett out of the way real okay. quick. Okay. Number one, I've just gone down her list of accolades. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so she's also like her thing is mostly writes historical fiction about female scientists, which is kind of a interesting. Quite a niche, niche. Quite a niche yeah. market there yeah. for, are all of her stories about lady scientists? I think, yeah. I think all of them are. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like her go-to sort of thing and last time we were talking about what i was working on and i was telling you about how i print out short stories and like edit them and then type them up again and i and i started doing that after reading an interview where she talks about her process and that's more Uh or less like what she does too and she also has a writer friend who i can't remember the name of i'm doing a very bad job of introducing this this is awful but uh her writer friend edits all of her stuff and is also like a well a well it's basically me and you, man. That's what okay. I'm saying. Oh, they're, I see where you're going. They're essentially yeah, me and you. Yeah. 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 We're very accomplished. We got a MacArthur Grant. We're yeah, yeah. And we help each other yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. Like, the putting that kind of constraint on yourself. I wonder if that's intentional. Like, I'm, I'm the person who writes stories about female scientists throughout mm-hmm. history. And putting that sort of constraint, well, whether she does that intentionally or not, I think last time we did Disha Filial's book, mm-hmm. uh, Secret or Peach Cobbler from the Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Mm-hmm. And I heard an interview with her through Scalawag magazine and she talked about the uh like kind of landing on that as a as this theme. Mm-hmm. And I my sound was cutting in and out and I need to go back and listen to it. But she's <laughs> we're doing a great job. <laughs> the uh we're very prepared. We were very uh, two very prepared guys doing we got podcast. Cats and dogs coming in and out of the rooms yeah. as we record. And she I think she kind of had a few stories that sort of had church ladies as elements of the stories mm. and then her editor or uh her agent were like this is where you need to take it. Yeah, you need to mind this and then, basically. Yeah, like setting out to put that kind of constraint on yourself. It's mm-hmm. not like you can have a, you can't have like a science fiction story or like a, a, you can't have a story that doesn't feature church ladies in it. Yeah. I think I, I've noticed as, as I have kids now and like my time is so scarce that I have to sort of be project focused mm-hmm. in a really narrow way or I'll get away from 
stuff. Like with a novel is really hard because there's like all these different moving pieces and different characters, but I can kind of take, like I wrote a book of koans, these like Zen Buddhist koans, Mm -hmm. but I like, I kind of Southern fried them. So there's like 2000 plus year old stories, but then I like put them in South Mississippi and like used my like dumb country, not dumb. I use my country cousins as uh, characters instead of Careful these, like, z- these, yeah, uh, <laughs> instead of all these Zen masters, they're going to come for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, With their so pitchforks and flaming torches. <laughs> uh, they're tater guns. Uh, <laughs> I can hear, hold on. I can hear a four wheeler right now. Like, <laughs> So I replace all these like Zen Buddhist masters with my very intelligent, intuitively uh, humane country cousins. <laughs> but they're all really short stories, so I would, like had this constraint: like you can only write about these specific people in this specific way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really helped me to kind of like keep keep that going because I was always able to kind of come back to that center. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of like chasing all these different sort of rabbits to uh, put a, a collection together. Yeah. No, I think it. Uh, I think it totally makes sense to put uh, put constraints on, and that it can be that can actually be help the creative process. Back to your question, why did I pick it? I think mm-hmm. I remembered it as being just like a fascinating story because it's like it's basically like a giant extended metaphor. It's actually like a whole bunch of extended metaphors for the literal zone that somehow she turned into a story. It's like mm. the, the craft involved, like number one, like the imagination is like incredible, but like the ability to pull it off, the level of craft is out of control. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Cause I want to okay. know, I want to know what you loved about it so much. And I've got some things to say too, but yeah, let's get into it. Um, okay, cool. Hey, uh, Russell, before we get uh, into the discussion of the story and the extended metaphor, why don't you tell us what a literal zone is? So a literal zone is in a body of it's where a body of water ends in an ocean or in a lake. Usually Mm -hmm. it's uh, at like a tide pool where you have things like barnacles and you have little crabs and you have uh, sea anemones. Uh, So it's like a very specific Mm -hmm. type of critter that lives in the literal zone. And most of them are aquatic but some of them are like amphibious like crabs yeah correct yeah yeah i think i think it's often used interchangeably with the intertidal zone although the literal zone technically encompasses part of the ocean that is not intertidal Mm -hmm. but but i think i actually think for the purpose of this story it's mostly in the extended metaphor part it's we're mostly talking about the intertidal zone okay so Uh, that's what it is that's what that's yeah that's what the literal zone is okay so quickly the log line that i have is as follows uh the movie log line after spending a summer on a research trip on an island off the coast of new hampshire two married professors decide to leave their spouses to be with one another they spend the rest of their lives convincing themselves that it was the right decision what do you think of that russell i think that's really good yeah well thanks man i think you i think you really nailed it thanks man <laughs> can i tell you a story about so okay so so it's a it's a it's a, a, a research station where these people go but it's also like they're professors and there's also students involved that mm-hmm. live for the summer on this research station. And it made me think a lot of, um, about school trips. I, I grew up in Southern California and there's this like tall ship, you know, with like a, several masts, like an old timey mm-hmm. ship in a marina and it's called the Pilgrim. And, uh, we, for one of these overnight trips, went and spent the night on this boat and pretended to be sailors basically as if it was uh-huh. 1850. Right. And, um, 
How that, old were you? I was, I think I was like seven or eight, probably. Whoa, holy smokes. Yeah, we, I was, well, let's see, I was in, I was in fourth grade, I think. Seven or eight is like. <laughs> I don't know, man. I have no idea. What, That's like what, second grade. So you would have been like 10 or okay, 11, right, probably. Fine, yeah. fine Russell. <laughs> As a father of an almost six-year-old, like, okay. I cannot yeah, imagine. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how old I was. I was in fourth grade for sure, but I have no idea how old I was. But so you're probably right. I was, uh, let's, let's, let's say 10. Okay. So anyway, we went to the Pilgrim. And we one of the things we had to do, in addition to like various chores, depending on, you know, what part of the crew you were assigned to, you had to wake up and do night watch. Mm-hmm. And the parents were instructed that it was uh, going to be cold, you know, because like, it's like on the ocean, right? You're on a boat. Yeah. Okay. And it gets kind of cold 10. at night, you know? And so my mom, she like helped me pack and she packed, she packed like I was going on an Arctic expedition, basically. <laughs> and and she, I had to practice putting on all of the clothes and stuff like, and so I knew how to get into all of the clothes correctly. And, um... So I did, you know, I I got into all my gear for the night watch, and we went up on uh, on deck, and <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like fifty <laughs> degrees or something. It wasn't like super cold, <laughs> and I passed out, man. <laughs> I didn't like pa- I didn't like fall all the way out. Like I didn't I didn't like hit the ground, but I got You're like so hot. I got yeah I got like all woozy, <laughs> and like what there's a couple of parents who who were there with the class, you know, and I remember this my good friend Tom Smith's mom, God bless her, she came over and she's like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> and I, was like, I guess I was like like woozy, you know, uh-huh. on the verge of passing out, and then she oh, she's man. like, "Maybe you should take off the oh my lord that expedition parka that you have on." <laughs> anyway, I think about that once. Excuse me, once in a while, it's one of those moments from childhood, you know. Oh my god! Anyway, that has very little to do with the story, but it's just something that I thought about uh, as I yeah. read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to tell stories on this podcast, so yeah. we do. What do you say to, to me going beat by beat through this real quick to just to give the listeners a little more detailed understanding of the story? You nailed the logline, so I fully expect you to nail the uh, more beat by beat detail synopsis. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, a couple a couple of notes before I go quickly beat by beat through here. First of all, it's a nonlinear story. It's uh, It kind of jumps through time a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, also, the narrator is very unique. It tells the perspective of both characters. Um, mm-hmm. And then it also tells the perspective of both of them together. It uses mm-hmm. they, like second person plural to tell mm. and it, it jumps mm-hmm. back and forth mm-hmm. seamlessly you might even say like an intertidal zone oh. a, a third point is that the, the the scenes are kind of weird the whole thing is told as if the two people are remembering their past it's it's kind of got like this sort of dreamlike feel to it the whole time my grandparents before my uh grandpa ken passed away a couple of years ago had their they called it their memory window in their backyard and they would sit in like a sitting a little bench in their little backyard with my, my grandma used to walk around and like steal, not steal plants. She was still cuttings from other people's uh, plants, like bushes and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. roses. Mm-hmm. So she had all these, like she called it borrowing. That's she true. had all these borrowed plants around borrowed. and they had in this tree, they had their memory window, which was just like an empty window frame where they would sit and they would talk about their memories together. Ah, that's really sweet. And I think that that's sort of we're like the the future they yeah. of the story is like I imagine them like sitting. It's sort of like that, yeah. Like where they agree on things, window. it seems to go into this they 
thing, but mm-hmm. not always. And in certain cases, the well, I'll I'll explain as I go. All right, beat one begins fifteen years in the past. Okay, boom. Yeah, beat one. Um, and in beat one uh, is where Jonathan, a botanist, and Ruby, an invertebrate zoologist, make a connection during a summer spent at a marine biology research station off the New Hampshire coast. Neither of them can remember exactly what day of the trip it was, but they agree that the connection occurred on an afternoon after a lecture on the literal zone when the two shared a moment basically like kvetching about being physically uncomfortable because there was no fresh water to bathe in and they both had poison ivy. And they do they had this conversation at a tide pool. Okay, beat two, we then move on to uh, a little bit forward in time. Uh, from beat one at the very end of the trip when they get off the boat and see their families waiting for them. And they both remember <sighs> this as being the worst moment, um, basically, of their lives together because... Because they'd done something naughty, probably. But we don't really know. We don't know what exactly has transpired at that point. That's right. Yeah. But they feel, like, guilty. And, and it's just, like, a really... It's just a... It's kind of, like, an uncomfortable thing. Um, it is definitely... An uncomfortable thing. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable. Okay, beat three, we now move back to a little bit after the first beat. Um, And here we learn more about how Ruby and Jonathan got to know each other after their shared moment at the tide pool. Um, They mostly make fun of their colleagues during this period. There's a bunch of other scientists out there who like giving lectures and stuff and kind of just like goof off. But they also remember it as this kind of delirious period for both of them. Here's a key quote, Russell. Both of them remember these days and nights as being almost purely happy. They swam in that odd, indifferent zone where they were more than friends, not yet lovers, still able to deny to themselves that they were headed where they were headed. Almost like a literal zone. You could say that it's very similar to a tide, an intertidal or littoral zone. Yeah, that's true. Literal. Excuse me. Littoral? Is that how you say it? No, oh, I think it's God. literal. I think it's literal. Okay. Uh, I just mispronounced it. <laughs> yeah, I actually Googled how to pronounce it like today, and it was just literal. So yeah. we now move on to a beat four, uh, which takes place um, a little bit after the summer they spent together. And here we see Ruby sneak off to call Jonathan. Sneak, sneak off as in away from her, her family. And Jonathan, so she calls him, and then Jonathan's daughter mm-hmm. answers. And it's like another mm-hmm. really weird moment. Mm-hmm. Um, where where she's not like feeling great about the situation, but mm-hmm. she presses forward and is relieved to learn that Jonathan not only could not wait to talk to her, but had also written her a letter that she had mm-hmm. not yet received. So yep. they kind of confirm, basically they confirm that they've been thinking of each other and unable to like put aside what had occurred on, uh, mm-hmm. on at the island. Okay, beat five. Uh, it's now years later, like 15 years later. Um, at, and it's after they've divorced from their previous... Uh, spouses and married one another. Um, Both Ruby and Jonathan are pushing 50. Jonathan is kind of fat and has lost some of his hair, and Ruby has become, quote, gaunt and stringy. Okay. Um, We learn about how it's been hard on their kids uh, in this section, um, who are now young adults. The divorce was not great for the kids, obviously, but they seem to be well-adjusted under the circumstances. Um, But importantly, the kids have never understood exactly why their parents made this decision. Mm-hmm. Another key quote, if I may, Russell. Uh, sure. <clears throat> in this conversation, Please. they seem to split their time into three acts. This conversation meaning the conversation that they have with their kids when they come to visit. They often talk about their, their lives. Okay. In their conversations, they seem to split their lives into three epics. The years when what they think of as their real families were whole, 
The years right after Jonathan and Ruby met, when their parents were coming and going, fighting and making up, separating and divorcing, and the years since Jonathan and Ruby's marriage, when they were forced into a reconstituted family. This this they is referring to all the kids. So in this section, right. you're in the mind of individual kids, but then also in like a, a collective mind of the kids, which is very interesting from a, um, a narration point of view. Um, and then... Again, you know, uh, I'm going to be saying this a lot, but you could see how this is also sort of like a t- intertidal or literal zone uh, in this section. Gosh, my cat is... Oblio! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking chill, man. Oblio didn't like this story, I guess. Okay. You think the three epics are the, like... The, yeah. like before times the, the yeah. split up the tough times and then the it's before times when they were getting together and then when they were split again you know so i mean like you, you know you you could think of it as like the intertidal zone right is like an overlap area and then right. the uh, on the one side is the sea and on the other side is the land right that's right. how i'm thinking over here and then okay, okay the last beat beat six is more or less it occurs at the same time as beat five um 15 years after they first met on the island um, but instead of focusing on the family dynamics and, and what it's like for their kids, it focuses on the couple again. And this beat mostly has to do, we, we see them like get it on because they got, apparently got it on on the island. And, you mean be intimate with one <laughs> Yeah, they were intimate. Thank you, Russell. We're professionals here. They're intimate with one get another. Get it on. Well, it's because, and, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, they had sexual intercourse Um <laughs> In one of the rooms at the at like the retreat place, you know the research station. But they got it's to interesting third base. when they, as they do so, they move about. They move like hold on, let me let me find the quote because once again, this whole metaphor thing. Is, it gets pretty rambunctious in there. Yeah, they're like breaking glasses and um, stuff. Yeah, like, they st- they start it in front of the fire and work their way across the floor, breaking a glass, knocking the table askew. Ruby rubbed her back raw against the rug, and Jonathan scraped his knees, and twice they paused and laughed at their wild excesses. They moved across yeah. the floor from east to west, and later from west to east, and between those two journeys, during the time when they heaped their clothes and the sofa cushions into a nest in the front of their fire, they talked. Once again, mm-hmm. we have three distinct areas where things are occurring, right? I, 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 again, I think the extended metaphor applies here. And also, that is getting it on, dude. That's... That's totally. That's totally it getting it on. Yeah. Also, he bites her. He bites and eats her fingernail. Yeah. This is yeah. This is the key part of this final beat. Not that they got it on, but that yeah. He eats a piece of her fingernail, and <laughs> says that she is now part of him. And she later, like fifteen years later, is like, actually, that's bullshit because it turns out you have to have a special <laughs> enzyme because she's a scientist, right? You have to have a special enzyme in order to digest a human. Uh, Keratin, like, keratin is the, yeah, what thank nails you. are made out of. Yeah. Right. And he says that he has a special enzyme for her. But she's like, but he doesn't because he's a human being and can't eat keratin. <laughs> it's so strange. It's very strange. It's so, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about why it's strange <laughs> later. What is sure. the story? I just told you what the story is about. But what right. is it about? One thing I think the story is about is memory and how we sort our lives whenever we're looking back on these things. And the way that she does it feels really true to the way that memory works, where you're jumping around from 
like moment to moment, not necessarily in order, but you're piecing these things together in this like jigsaw mm-hmm. kind of way. By the end of it, we don't really know if they are if they're happy or that's sort of what they're sorting through. Am I happy being with this person? He's yeah. got a little punch now. Am I happy being with this person? My wife looks better. We're not in these jobs that we used to have. Mm-hmm. Our kids have moved out. Our house is quiet and lonely. Did we make the right decision? You know, you're probably if they had stayed together on that other path in that other timeline, they'd probably be asking really similar questions. But the way that she pieces those things together is indicates to me that this story is about is about memory. And as a reader, I'm kind of going through that process with with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I mean, it's, I think it's there's about it's about other things too, like all the good mm-hmm. short stories, but. I think that that's one of the big things that she super successfully plays with. But mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that it's so effective is that they don't share all of their memories, you know? And th- so the oh, narrator yeah. is like really key to creating the uh, effect that you just described. Because yeah. it's like when you, well, like when you and I, we've known each other for like what, like 15 years. And when mm-hmm. we sit down and remember the old days together, we're both bringing in details and laughing about things that we remember, but also, you know, disagreeing about little facts too. Right. Right. And it's just yeah. kind of, that's how, that's how it works, you know, when you remember things with another person. Mm-hmm. So me and Catherine met on a study abroad trip in London. And she remembers like seeing me across this courtyard at we were staying at these dorms at King's College. And I mean, I had like a little chin strap beard. I probably had like one of my pant legs rolled up because I like rode a, a, you know, I rode a road bike and you had to, I didn't have my road bike with me in London, but like you had to have your pant leg rolled up. <laughs> had some aviator sunglasses on probably. Yeah. And she like saw me across. The courtyard. What, what, like, was it, what, when was this? What, what year was this? 2006. Okay. And she was like, that guy's got something special. It was our first day of class. Catherine came up to me and I was talking to somebody else and she was wearing like an Auburn uh, t-shirt. And I, just like out of the corner of my, my eye, I saw her and was just like, ah, uh, fratty person, sporty person that I don't really like have the time for. And she like I can't imagine her like, as a Freddy sporty uh, person. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, not, you know, sport like that kind of sporty, like school spirit sporty or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, she walked up and she, I was talking to these other people. And she's like, "Hey guys, how's it going?" Or I don't remember what she said. I don't remember it because I just like was such a a, a butthead that I just like turned away. And she says I didn't even say anything. Wow. I didn't even say hey back she or. Yeah, I was. Dude, and she she so. aggressively pursued you ever since, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like right? after that. Then we isn't there was we agree isn't that so how the, the pickup artists say that that uh... nag him? <laughs> yeah, totally nagged her. Yeah, no, I was just a like. <laughs> oh my uh, god! No, that. I didn't nag her. That's I was just so a funny. butthead. I was just That's a total so butthole. Funny. Ah, what's it? What an idiot! Why wouldn't I say that? Why don't I be like, yeah, I was just negging you. (laughs) God, we've been married like not almost nine years. What an idiot! Oh man, it it was like maybe a day later. uh, I mean, we were only there for like three weeks or four weeks or something like that. Uh, There was a night that like everybody was at this bar hanging out, and she was out on this uh, picnic table telling stories. And she, t- there are poop stories. There's stories about like hmm. poops that like embarrassing poops of people I've known on this segment. Embarrassing, embarrassing stories. Embarrassing poops, poops of, of people. history. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I like heard her tell the story. She had this table just like totally laughing and rolling and absolutely engaged captive audience and i walked up and i was like that's a pretty good poop story let me tell you this poop story <laughs> well you guys you guys bonded over poop stories and then we had like dueling poop stories wow. uh and then you know seven years later we're married dude that, we got a through line in our podcast here about poop just <laughs> weird yeah <laughs> didn't see that coming i'm gonna send you a couple of pictures uh in our WhatsApp. Have you ever heard of a little book called I feel like, I feel like uh I'm on a I'm on a talk show and you're gonna give me some like document that's <laughs> here's a picture of you in two thousand and four at a house party. You said you were drinking tequila, but very clearly in this picture it's vodka. Um okay, there's a book by Scott McCloud called Understanding Comics. It's referenced a lot by like uh by by writers writers and oh, artists. You've been wanting to bust me on comics for a long time. Yeah, here we go, man. I know you hate comics. You brought up Batman last time. I wanted to talk about Batman, but I didn't get into it because you said that sometimes Batman like Batman always catches a bad guy. You could check out Arkham Asylum where he almost lets him go. He's gonna let all the bad guys out of Arkham Asylum. You know what he does instead? He gets Two-Face to flip the coin. You should listen to the black... And he gives up control. Two-Face flips the coin. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but you should listen to the Black Casebook podcast by my friend Walt Llewellyn. He talks about Batman, but he does it in a I'll very... Bet he defeats, I'll bet he defeats him anyway later, though, doesn't he? Well, there are different storylines. Batman <laughs> exists in like multiple continuities simultaneously, so get over yourself. <laughs> Like, you know, everything anyway, the black case, but okay. So Scott McCloud, I sent you uh, one. There are, there, I sent you two pictures. You did. There's one with, with two faces. One is a pretty detailed, like kind of sort of detailed face. And the other is just a circle with two dots and a line for a face. Yeah. Right. One's like a face of like a white man circa 1960, sort of like drawing. Mm-hmm. And the other one yeah. is like a smiley face with a straight line mouth. Yeah. He's not smiling. He's not it's just smiling. a regular, very regular face. Yeah. Okay. So it says, uh, when you look at a photo or a realistic drawing of a face, you see it as the face of another. So like you recognize that that's not me, right? Mm-hmm. If you see a drawing that has any sort of detail that doesn't look like you, you can say that's not me. But when you enter the world of a cartoon, you see yourself because it's been flattened, right? Like all the, it, it has no ears. It has no eyebrows. It has no nose. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Scott McCloud as a cartoon is saying the ability of cartoons to focus our attention on an idea is, I think an important part of their special power, both in comics and in drawing generally. Another is the universality of cartoon imagery. The more cartoony a face is, for instance, the more people it could be said to describe. So he's got kind of like a scale of very detailed pictures. So one's an actual photograph on the left and it says one, right? Mm. And then if you look to the far right, where it has the circle with the two dots and the line, it says nearly all. Yeah. So like you can own that one guy is just that one guy. Mm-hmm. And then on the far right, that could, could be, be anybody. anybody. That could be a man. It could be a woman. It could be a black person, a white person. It could be like, as long as it's a human being. Yeah. That's who it is. And then there are these like. Gradients, basically. Right. Great. Degrees of detail in the middle. So for me reading this story, I felt like. She is Andrea Barrett is withholding a bunch of detail about these people. I mean, we have a, we have a few. We get that they're scientists. Anybody can be a scientist. My point is that you have characters who are drawn in like very very vivid detail. You think about the preacher, uh, Pastor Neely and Peach Cobbler. 
Like we know what this guy looks like. We can feel his presence. We know the sound of his laughter. He's got these big sausage fingers. Pastor Neely is like on the left side of that scale, right? But these people are closer to this like cartoony flattened version Mm -hmm. where I, as the reader, can kind of put myself onto this character of Jonathan. Yeah, like an avatar kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can put myself or I can put like my wife, Catherine, onto Ruby. Mm -hmm. Entertainment wise, it doesn't really work for me because I'm like, I want to know who these people are. But as a like way of telling the story. It's kind of interesting yeah. because there's an, there's, there's enough there to make it a good story, mm-hmm. but not so much that I can't bring myself to it. Mm-hmm. And I think in terms of like my own writing, it makes me think about like how, how flat do I need to have a character? Yeah. That's a really interesting observation. I guess, I guess whenever I go into writing, it's like, I want to write somebody who's as vivid as they can be. I want my, yeah. my, my reader to know like every detail about this person so that mm-hmm. they really know who this person is. But I think there's something to be said for flattening your character a little bit yeah. so that your reader can kind of put themselves onto that character. Right. Yeah. I think that's interesting observation. I made a similar note. One of the things that I think is interesting is just like the banality of what happens. There's nothing like sexy or anything. It's not like there's no, you, the, the stakes don't feel like super high at the beginning. No. I, I think that there's just a, not a lot of sentimentality attached to the thrill of, of basically falling in love with somebody that it's not like, mm-hmm. a, it's, it's not a romance. It's just super f- matter of fact, like these two people met and decided, yeah, we're going to divorce our spouses and marry each other. And, you know, later they're like, hmm, is that a good idea or not? Is was kind of where we end the story. And I love the story, but maybe my, my one critique of it is that it's almost like too put together in a way it's it's mm-hmm. like loses a little bit of life she's like constructed it in such a way that and it's so focused on like achieving these technical feats that it sort of is a yes. little bit lifeless yes yeah. yes yes but nevertheless Absolutely. the technical feats that she achieves are like incredible and i think for and for to do so many of them in one story is like amazing yes i'm i'm so glad that you said that because you said it better that i <laughs> better than I could have, but that's exactly what I've been feeling. Is like she's obviously a really good writer. Mm-hmm. This is an intentional choice. Right, well, then right. why? Yeah, it's, uh, everything is a choice here, yeah. as you're saying, and and so we have to respect choice. And I think that that that's something that I think I failed to do a little bit with the last story. I appreciate that. I appreciate that because I love that story and I needed an apology. And thanks so much. So, <laughs> I, but uh, before we're going to talk about like subverting the story form, I mean, I think she does that in a few ways here. Which is cool. I do too. I'm glad you said the word subvert. Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. We didn't compare. We, by the way, reader, listener, whoever you are, we don't compare notes before we get started on these. I just want to say that. But Brian said the word subvert. It was like on the tip of my brain. I can't believe it. We send like very cursory text messages about whether or not we like the story, <laughs> basically. Uh, and that's it. And we try to save it all for the podcast for you people. Okay. So one way that she subverts the story form is through like the narrative voice a little bit because one of the rules that a writing professor will tell you wait hang on can't wait don't say it can we say it at the same time okay okay i want to see if we both if we both did it okay okay yeah. i want to see if we both got the same answer okay okay you ready yeah. i'm gonna say one two three and then say it. okay one two three no Show, shifting don't tell. perspectives i was gonna do that's my second one <laughs> No switching perspectives is what you said? Yeah, like right from one character's mind. I hadn't thought about that. And I think that there's some wisdom there because it can, it's, 
there's great stories that do it. I'm reading this book called The Promise right now that won the last mm-hmm. Booker Prize, and it's like told. It just like goes through the minds of like every character who like comes in contact with the story, basically. And it totally yeah. works and it's awesome. But I think if you don't figure out a mechanism for sending the narration from one character's mind to another, then it it doesn't work and it can be super confusing. So I think it's easier to do in a novel too, like because you have so much more room and you can indicate it with chapter breaks and you can put yeah. na- like as I lay dying or something where you've got like different people's names at the top yeah, yeah, but or I'm, like but the overstory by Richard Powers or, but I'm, I'm talking um, about, you're absolutely right. But, but in both in the promise and in this, there's like a seamless inside of one paragraph. You might move between mm-hmm. character getting inside sure. different characters heads and doing that in particular, it can be like re- really unwieldy. Mm-hmm. Basically you kind of have to figure out a way to like hand off the narrative here. I think the way that she does that is through the, like metaphorically using the, they like it goes from one character to they, to another character to they again, and they being the literal zone. So it's like, she's, she's put that metaphor, this extended metaphor into the actual narrative device of the story, Whoa. which I think is awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Russell got a big like old grin that. over here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So you're saying that the zone is like sort of has a perspective yeah. here. When I said earlier that it's a giant extended metaphor, I, I counted up like like a bunch of ways. In literally in the narrative device, there's a metaphor for it. In their relationship and how like the different eras of their relationship overlap. In the way that they make love mm-hmm. at the end, moving from one side of the room to the other and back to the middle, where they have this like communal space that they've created. In memory events that are sometimes sh- shared and sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. not which is a little bit different than the narrative mm-hmm. device so that's what is that four that's four there might be yeah. more it's almost too much <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a marriage of like execution and and um Im- force of imagination that i think is like super yeah. impressive it's like a cohesive story that also does all this yeah. other stuff it's, al- it's almost like um like writing a like a sonnet in the sonnet you have to have pentameter and you have to have mm-hmm. thir- like I don't remember like rhyme schemes and stuff like that, but then you also have to have the couplet that turns uh, to like sort of subvert Mm. your, the expectations of the story. It also does subvert, like you said earlier, this whole don't, don't show, don't tell. It subverts the show, don't tell thing. It, it tells like the whole thing tells until the very end, end, which is the part that I, that I really enjoyed. Yeah. That's usually like, that's the big no, no in any workshop is like, you got a show, don't tell. And Mm. I mean, I think, I think that any, sort of advice like that is to be taken with a a, a teaspoon of <laughs> a teaspoon of salt uh it can be deployed effectively like you can use you can use those yeah. things for emphasis you can do it self-consciously sort of like a little meta twist on your storytelling mm-hmm. a little like george costanza yada yada yeah. yada kind of a thing yeah yeah I, I yeah i think the problem that the problem with telling instead of showing is that most most writers i think when they when they tell too much is cuz they're writing from a position of insecurity instead of at least speaking for myself and when i was working as a full-time journalist like on on like narrative journalism sometimes i would turn in work and my editor would be like dude you you're telling a lot here instead of showing us and it was just because i wasn't i like usually it was like i hadn't done enough research mm-hmm. You know, like I hadn't or I hadn't like maybe I just need one more phone call to a source. Mm. Right. To like to really nail it or something, you know, and I just hadn't done that yet. Some, sometimes that would happen. Yeah. But I think when it comes to fiction, you know, there's I think fiction so much harder than nonfiction to write because I mean, not in every case, but 
but for in general, because you have to come up with everything yourself. So like, you know, you, you have to imagine the whole place first. And that's sort of like the, that's the research part of it. Mm. You know, if you haven't, if you haven't like done like the imaginative work necessary to like tell a proper or show the scene, then you're going to tell it. And it's just instead, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I think that that's the problem really. Does that make sense? I think it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like you're writing from fear when you're telling. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, unless you're her doing this, in which case she's doing. She is. We can feel. We can feel the confidence of of the story that she's telling. Yeah. When I was when I was in high school, I was I was in a group uh, called TGIF. A gang. I was in a group. No, it's not a gang. <laughs> I was in a group. I was. In <laughs> it stood for teens getting involved. In the future, <laughs> teens getting involved in the future. Are you serious? Are you being serious? <laughs> Bear with me. This is my this is my junior year of high school. <laughs> I'm not oh, proud of this. I can't wait. Brian has, Brian's like readjusting his headphones so he can hear every detail. Uh, <laughs> South Jones High School, Jones County, Mississippi. It was a countywide uh, initiative. TJF was an abstinence promoting uh, organization where we went around and we talked about uh, you should not have sex. You should not drink alcohol. You should not do drugs. And then we would go. Oh and so God. we would go into like the middle school classrooms around the County and get them and tell them don't have sex. I wish I could see a picture of a 15 year old Russell right now. So you would go around telling people not to have sex all around Jones County. <laughs> and don't drink beer. <laughs> this is a dry county. Um, oh, man. What's great about that is you can't even say, take it from me, don't have sex. You know, you just have to be like, don't. <laughs> let, me let me tell you kids about the first time I had sex. It was awful. <laughs> hey, you kids ever been oh, to man. the literal zone? Um <laughs> So we had to go to this, oh, we went on this like orientation, like camping trip weekend thing for TGIF and they got all the teens. What else are you going to do with a bunch of teens who you want to talk to abstinence about? Take them in the woods and put them in cabins together. <laughs> a bunch of, hor <laughs> a bunch of fit hormonal yeah. teens. Uh, and yeah. so we went and like the first night there was this big conference room and they were like, all right, everybody, Dr. So-and-so is going to come in here and he's going to, he's got a slideshow and he's going to show us some slides. It's going to be pretty disturbing stuff. It's STDs. Okay. You don't know what STDs are yet. We haven't talked about it, but we're going to show you, he's going to show you some pictures. And if you need to go mm. out and get some water, if you need to go throw up or anything, then you just go do that. Cause it's going to be pretty, pretty bad, pretty uh, bad stuff. Serious. So then this guy came in, yeah. I remember him like coming, it was like, it was late. He had probably like just gotten off work. He was like trying to get his white coat on because he had to like look like a real doctor. And he, I think he even had like a stethoscope. He was like a, like pulled. I'm his picturing Chris Farley, like <laughs> coming in. <laughs> I live in a man. <laughs> Down, <laughs> so he like he comes in and he turns on the projector and he's like this is gonorrhea click this is syphilis click this is whatever Jeez. click click and he's just like running through these things mm -hmm. and it would be like overexposed photos of genitalia with like warts and lesions and stuff like Jesus. Uh, oozing out and uh d Ugh. discharge the word <laughs> discharge was used a lot um and so we're all just like uh, <laughs> uh, 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 uh. 
the and then uh that was the that was the world that we were living in but i remember walking out after this thing and some kids were just like in a daze like oh no i can never have sex ever 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 i'll never drink beer but then some of the kids were like i'm young i'm like hormonal i'm gonna talk to i'm gonna talk to girls i'm gonna talk to dudes i'm gonna go make out in that bush uh but there are these two kids uh guy's name was chase and the girl's name is katie and i still kind of know both of them they're not they're not together they're not married but they were playing ping pong and i remember they were like separate from everybody else and whenever one of them met if you whoever like got a point against them they had they got to ask a question or no 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 whoever got a point got to ask a question of the other person and i was just kind of like slowly walking by and i overheard this and it was like katie got a point and then she's like what's your favorite color and chase is like green and then they played for a minute and he got a point and he's like what's your favorite what's your favorite dessert and she's like strawberry cheesecake and then they like play a little bit more she got a point he's like what's your favorite place to go on vacation and it was just like this it was the sweetest little conversation and i was like these two are just like they're meant for each other like they're like all this like horrible sex stuff that i just saw those two have got something that's (laughs) gonna last and I feel like that was the thing that was sort of missing from this story for me, really seeing these two appreciate each other. Again, maybe I'm supposed to bring that to the story myself. Is and maybe another way that it subverts though, is that you don't get like, as we, as we established already, you don't really get a lot of, a lot of, it's all telling up until the end. And then you get this scene, mm. you know, yeah, or you get a couple scenes. And one of them is like Ruby thinking like this thing was built on a fraud mm. you know yeah there's the tension in the story is maybe that there isn't that much tension and you're waiting for something and then what you get is a moment not of like despite you know us moving on from our jobs and our kids being unhappy at least we have this memory that we share together and it's like beautiful and stuff but she's like man and then he ate my toenail or whatever <laughs> and and like he fed me this line and it's not uh, even true you know yeah you got it or maybe i'm maybe i'm reaching no too you're much not for man I, I think you're absolutely but. right i think you i i've i'm caught in the like i'm caught in like trying to workshop the story and do something with it that it's not doing i just wasn't able to put it together you're right she's on the fence about this and the only thing she's got to hold on is this guy ate my fingernail and it doesn't even work that way yeah, and it was, and it's all BS. Okay, all right. You know? I like the story now. <laughs> I like the story now. And now he's fat, and he this does the lawn, and I don't like to look at it. This is a perfect story. It's top three. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, bro. <laughs> no, oh, man. you're right. It's uh, good. You win. Are you being serious? Yeah. It's not. It's not a competition. It is, you didn't know it's a competition. Hang on. Let me get my scorecard. I've been keeping score that every episode we've done. I haven't. We haven't done the update on the scores. Um, what are you working on? Um, man, I'm just working on. Uh, I, I haven't really worked on that short story I've been telling you guys all about this whole time. I put that aside. For we the don't week. know a thing about the short story. We just know that you have been working on it. Oh, that's true. Anyway, I'm also writing a. I'm working on a book proposal that I'm not going to tell you guys about until later. That's for a nonfiction project, and then I'm working on a novel too that I'm working on. Pretty heavy duty for the last three months. Yeah. I just crossed the 37,000 word mark. Budgeting for about, that That should be about halfway through the cool. story. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's my stuff. What, what about you, Russell? What are you working on? I've been thinking a lot about the, the like my class in the last couple of days, since I'm going to have to have a whole uh-huh. uh, 
like syllabus and books and stuff. Um, so I haven't done a whole lot of writing. Uh, as always, listeners, we don't know what we'll be reading for next time, so stay tuned. <laughs> so should we should we decide on something? Maybe we can announce it. I forgot to announce it. Did you have something in mind? I, I think since you're from Mississippi, I thought it'd be fun if we read a Barry Hanna story. Okay. Because he's considered like one of the best short story writers ever, yeah. and he's from Mississippi. Some of his stuff is really difficult. He writes like in this Southern Gothic thing. Mm-hmm. It's like he's he does this bit. You got to really just take a breath and like go along yeah. with it. But this is like one of his normal stories mm-hmm. where it's just it's called Water Liars, and it's about these guys. There's this place called Farte Cove um, in Mississippi, and these old like guys from town that just go down there and tell lies to each other like standing on this pier uh-huh. <laughs> and it's fucking hilarious and it's just like so mississippi hey everybody thanks for listening to another episode of that some story some story podcast some story podcast uh, my name is brian blickenstaff that over there is russell hain and we want to say thank you very much for listening to us um as we've been saying check us out on instagram and Facebook and Twitter at some some at some story show. That's right, at some story show. And if you like what we do, please don't forget to rate and subscribe. And perhaps even more importantly, if you could share this podcast with one person you know who you think might enjoy it, that would really help us get our foot in the door here in this podcasting universe. We're having a great time doing it, and uh, we hope you guys have fun listening. So thanks, shorties. Thanks, shorties. <laughs> oh, uh, music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks, Blue Dot Sessions. All right. All right, Russell. All right, Brian. It was fun, man. It I, was. I, I enjoyed it as usual. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right, bud.